Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway. 6th and Peabody, Nashville, Tennessee, our broadcast location. Glad you're with us across the entire network. Tennessee, Georgia. Alabama, LSU, and much more. Trey Wallace discusses those topics, games, and previews. That's coming up in 20 minutes. Michael McHenry, former MLB catcher, current Major League Baseball broadcaster with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He will be with us atop hour number two. We'll talk all things World Series and break down the analytics with him. And a lot to discuss across the world of college and NFL. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Do you guys get more excited on Thursdays as opposed to Fridays now? For some reason, I feel like I'm more ready for Thursdays on this show, and I feel like it's more of a start of the weekend than even Friday shows. Well, I keep having this thing where I feel like Friday is uh, Thursday is Friday, which is this inconvenient week, because it's not. I have the newsflash yeah. for you. Thursday is not the new Friday in that there is another day of work after Thursday. This is the first week in a while that I feel like has flown by from the it's standpoint of week. it feels like Wednesday to me, and it's Thursday. Normally, I feel like it should be the end of the week on a, on a Thursday. Well, especially a big game week. It feels like it goes by slow. Today, it's, uh, today is, this week has flown by, I feel like, though. I feel like we're really getting through a lot of material. This baseball thing is pretty crazy where only one of the games has been good, but the series as a whole is incredibly compelling with the back and forth. So the Phillies go from absolutely just clobbering the baseball in game three to getting collectively no hit in game three four uh it's quite a back and forth and we could be in for quite a three-game series now Uh, this was mattress max revenge in this game (laughs) for the him dropping off mattresses for the people of philly that are under underserved and then they're cursing him as he walks out of the stadium and he's dropping f-bombs and And they come back and no hit him i feel like there was some cosmic justice on behalf of the Astros in this game. And the Astros pitchers clearly found food. We were talking yesterday about the trouble the Astros were having finding some catering. Yeah. Those guys didn't uh, – well, maybe they, maybe they were super hungry. Maybe they hadn't eaten. Why, why do people um, dislike the combined no-hitter so much? Well, because it's so bad. It's so much. I, I dislike it. I, How? I, I mean, to well, me, because it's, it's I want the guy just as challenging to have people come out of the bullpen and pitch as well as your starter did. Oh, I think it's as big an accomplishment, but it's – you know, the ideal is that Don Larson perfect game where you do it by yourself. It's a bigger accomplishment. I shouldn't say a bigger accomplishment. It's quite an accomplishment for one guy to do it and go through oh, the sure. order all of those times. So I think they dislike it in that comparatively it's not as much fun or as big a thrill to see as it is to see one guy do yeah, it. It's, it's and a- there didn't seem to be any consideration of letting him continue. Yeah, to your question, Hutton, it's a purist take on the game of why would you ever take a pitcher out who's not allowed a hit? That, that's what it comes down to. It's not some groaning about the guys coming out of the bullpen and continuing to not give up hits. That's great. 
if you have multiple guys who come in or are perfect and don't give up a hit throughout an inning, but it's that first move and what was that makes count? people mad. It was, his pitch Why count wasn't it, ridiculous. Again, go watch the Nolan Ryan documentary. Screw pitch count. Why would you ever take anyone out that has not allowed a hit? That's the mentality from a lot of old school baseball fans, where they're never going to like a combined no hitter as much as a no hitter for one player because you don't take someone out when they've not allowed a hit. And he was spectacular. He was great. Threw a fastball in 70 of his 97 pitches. And they had no nope. answers no. whatsoever. I mean, there wasn't, uh, what's the close hit in that game? Uh, uh, the, probably the eighth inning on the diving uh, catch in the right field. And the ninth inning, I thought they exaggerated the fly ball to right where they said, oh, he caught it a foot from the ground. I mean, he ran hard, but he still caught it. You know, he didn't even turn his glove under. He still caught it with his glove uh, under. Um, you know, he ran a long way, but he tracked it down pretty easily. The Kyle Schwarber near miss down the line, too, was one that it, it almost felt like had they called it fair, it would have stood up, right? And it was so close. That was the other near miss for a hit. And very impressive by the Astros. And obviously, by winning that game, they guarantee the series ends in Houston, which is a big deal. Yeah, Phillies fans were booing during the game. That's what they do. But, I mean, come on. A day after you hit. Yankees like, booed uh, Aaron Judge five last moves. week. Yeah, come on. Uh, just, uh, I, I, I watched that, and I'm thinking, stop. Like, you're in the World Series. Now, their response is, we're in the World Series. How are you getting no hit we when we get back this. to the World we Series? This price. When you just hit five home runs or four home runs the day Look, before? if they were the best team in baseball all year and won 100-and-something games, and they're, they're getting no hit in a World Series game when they're up 2-1, okay, the expectation is, we're the team to beat. We better win it this year. And then you're getting no hit. No one had the Phillies going to the World Series and this, no. these playoffs started. But once they, do, money. once they do, the expectations, and, and they play so well. I still think the Phillies are going to win this series. I do, too. I want, though, that now, with the back and forth, the way we're talking about, let's get some classic games. That game one was a classic. We need was no tight four games, five yesterday. Tight games in, in these to make it uh, you know, a really good World Series. It's a really good World Series in the back and forth, but the games, self-contained games, haven't been so great. Jeff Bezos and Jay-Z are linked together as uh, possible uh, owners-to-be of the Washington Commanders. They're interested in making a bid for the team. This is the first of what I'm sure will be several reports that will be floated out there. This from Front Office Sports. So if Bezos buys the team, though, he has to divest himself of Amazon Prime carrying the games? I believe there's a rule that you can't own a broadcast network that covers the league and also own a team. I feel like something has to right. give there. Like you can't own Amazon, but he's also sold a lot of Amazon. Yes. So maybe it's no problem at all. I just saw the headline. I've not it, this this story broke today. I know I've not read more into it. He owns ten percent of Amazon. So then he, I guess he'd be fine if you're not a majority owner. But even if you're a ten percent stakeholder of a media company that has broadcast rights to the game, can you also own? An NFL team? I guess the answer is yes. If the reports are he's being linked to a group that's going to purchase the team, I'm sure Bezos and his lawyers well, I mean, have figured it out. We've heard him before. I mean, we've heard him. What, didn't we hear it in Denver as well? Yes. Yeah. This we is did. the first we time we've, we've yeah, his name's heard him, which means they've vetted him, right? 
they would know well at least the began, entire process. at least began to vet them. Sports um, Business Journal has a great thing ticking off some of the end game stuff that might be going on here. We have a second to tick these off. I thought this was excellent. Sure. One suggestion: Snyder wants to find limited partners to recapitalize his, his debt in hopes of financing a new stadium, likely without public assistance. So this would get him a, an end around to get the stadium deal done. That's why he could be looking for limited partners when everybody says, well, why would you want limited partners? Second item, these same insiders speculate that Snyder is allowing other conclusions to be drawn publicly because he thinks the appearance of acquiescence may lower the temperature in the owner's room. Okay. Economic conditions have compelled him to push for minority ownership transaction because he wants to lower his exposure to rising interest rates. Flip side to that, though, is a limited partner stake would be difficult to sell without a path to a control stake. So typically a limited partner coming in with a big stake wants a path to ultimate ownership, but that would be fine, I, I would think. It's conceivable that Snyder still intends to fight legal action, but is fully educating himself on the options should things get worse. Having a sales price on the table can help inform him of possible strategies weighing punishment against a concrete number. Uh, One insider said, imagine if Roman Abramovich, who had to sell Chelsea, had known two months earlier that he'd be sanctioned and what he would have done. You know, he could have gotten out ahead of his troubles instead of being forced. That's what I think is happening. Okay, another source posits that this could be a way where Snyder can choose his own successor more easily than if he's punished. So that kind of goes hand in hand with that one. Could be looking at the overall market. With so many pro sports assets already for sale, including the Nationals, he might want to signal to possible buyers of those teams that they should keep their powder dry for an NFL team. So he's saying, hey, you may want into professional sports, but don't jump at the Nationals because the commanders may be available and you want in the NFL more than you want in MLB. And one more that a rumor been making the rounds suggests that Snyder has received some private indication that the league commissioned Mary Jo White report into sexual misconduct and other allegations will be bad for him. So he's calculating that he needs to start the sales process, even if he'll outwardly still fight. I thought that was very thorough by SBJ. And these these sports business publications, you hinted at this yesterday, Hutton with the Forbes report, they do a hell of a job on the business side of of pro sports. Yes, very well connected. And they, they know the ins and outs and the motives behind everything. Either way, uh, when he sells this team, there is a huge monetary award on the other side. Of oh, it. the windfall is enormous. Uh, considering Dan he paid Snyder $800 million. Yeah. He's not going to lose. No, and this. he can disappear then from the public eye if he, if he wants to. I think that part might be hard for him because he has liked, when he was not a complete pariah anyway, he liked being out there he was one of those you know some owners sit back and, yeah. and don't want to be known he liked being well, the the darling you know I, he, he wasn't quite uh, he wasn't quite jerry jones but he he didn't mind a microphone well you know you can't call him you know dan or snyder he's mr snyder in the building yeah. or whatever like that there is an ego play here that i do buy into with what they were saying at sports business journal about uh having some say in who's going to own be the owner of the team next. Like you still have to have 24 votes to approve ownership in the league. So but the, you can the rest of the some. ownership group will have its say and can vote someone no if 
even if Snyder wants to sell the team to them. Uh, but like, for instance, Fred Smith, who owned 30% or something of the Washington Redskins, bought out, sold it back to Dan Snyder. Well, they don't like each other. There's no secret there that they don't like each other. Fred Smith, though, has wanted to buy the Tennessee Titans before. That's well been out there. Like, he would like to be an NFL owner, and we're talking FedEx here, Arthur Smith's father, um, and it would make total sense that that would be a perfect landing spot because you've got Fred Smith, um, highly respected, and he would come in as the former partial minority owner and save the franchise. That the would league be, that's how it that, would be sold. But Snyder and, wouldn't want that. Right. So some of these but, methods are a way for him to avoid with, that. With Snyder, he could say he could say, "Hey, I'll sell if you approve this guy, vet him, this ownership group, and the owners who want him out will be like, oh, we're not voting him out. He's selling, so let's do it." Like to me, that that's part of the yeah. negotiation behind the scenes, and it avoids some of the complications. They don't want to get to a point where they have to force it. And then you have him out before any of these legal ramifications. Come I mean, play. they're already there, but more of them come. Come more into play, come more public. And maybe I'm way off there, but I, no, there, I think there are other right. people that I think he would rather sell the franchise to if he had to, just based on the ego at play. Would Fred Smith then trade for his son to be his head coach <laughs> with the Falcons? I don't, if think, that were the case? I don't think Arthur would want that. Yeah, it would be no, Arthur saying no to that. His, son, his dad might want it, but he wants no affiliation from a business side with his father. I'd look at Arthur's staff. To perhaps be rated. <laughs> you can imagine the rivalry there. That'd be something. <laughs> Father comes in and oh, takes you, everything. You want nothing to do with me, huh, son? All right. Well, got I'm your, taking your offensive coordinator. Dean Pease looks pretty nice for my <laughs> defensive coordinator. I'm going to go ahead and take him. We've got a, uh, a big discussion coming up on all things SEC. Tennessee and Georgia is where we will start. Trey Wallace of Outkick.com is about to join us live from Athens. That's next, but first... Aurora NutriScience and VitaLifeScience.com is where you can go to check out all the great supplements, and Aurora delivers those supplements where you need them the most, your body. You're seeing VitaLifeScience.com, V-I-D-A LifeScience.com is the website. It's where you can grab more information, you can see the products, and Outkick 360 season ticket holders, if you're listening, you are one, you receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. In fact, most are only absorbed in small, very small amounts. But here's Aurora, unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes, and that ensures greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, glutathione, and more. Plenty of more options as well at vitalifescience.com, V-I-D-A, lifescience.com. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at vitalifescience.com. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Let's head to Athens. Outkick 360. We welcome you back. We're in Nashville. Sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Trey Wallace of Outkick.com has made his way to Athens, Georgia. And on Saturday, he'll be between the hedges 
on the field for Tennessee and Georgia at 3.30 Eastern. Trey, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. It was uh, an interesting ride through the backwoods of Georgia and North Carolina and whatever state else I went through. Yeah, but it's a, uh, it's, we're a long, here. it's a long haul. It is, but uh, we made it. Outkick is uh, in Athens, ready for a, a a wild two days here in town. I've been telling this to Paul and Chad all week, on and off here. I I don't see how this isn't a classic game. I, I think it's just like Bama in in many ways. I. I expect it to come down to second to last or final possession. Yeah, I've gone back and forth on this, and I, and I was talking with somebody last night, and you know, it's like, you know, you 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 think maybe it comes down to you know, does does some team get hot, blow out the other in the fourth quarter, or something like that, or does it come down to a field goal? You know, I, I'm leaning towards that one possession type game, maybe a ten point ending, something along those lines. Right now, I, I just feel like. This is setting up to just be a slobber knocker and, 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 and maybe a shootout. We'll see what Georgia does with their offense. If they get A.D. Mitchell back or, you know, what does Kendall Milton look like? But Tennessee is going to play probably at their healthiest they've been all season long. And, and I think that's going to help them in a lot of ways uh, on Saturday. I think one of the more underrated facets of, of Tennessee's quick rise under Josh Heupel has been the offensive line. Uh, they get overlooked oftentimes. They've been terrific all year. Run blocking, uh, protecting Hendon Hooker. And to me, that's the key to this game. Can they neutralize Jalen Carter? Can they give Hendon Hooker time? Because, Trey, even though Georgia doesn't get a lot of sacks, they get a lot of pressures. So can they keep Hendon Hooker clean for the most part? Can they get some sort of push to get the run game going? What do you think specifically about Tennessee's offensive line play all year and especially this matchup with the Bulldogs. Well, Chad, I, I agree with you. Look at the amount of sacks that they've given up. Now, look, a lot of that's due to Hendon Hooker's Hooker's elusiveness. Um, but but I also think that the offensive line has stacked up really well against some tough defensive lines already this season. Now, you look at Saturday, Georgia without Nolan Smith, that's a big loss. You know, they, they, they're still going to have Jalen. Um, they're going to still have Robert Beal. They're going to try to get after the quarterback. But Tennessee's offensive line is a part of their whole team that has stood out to me, and especially the way they're running the ball. Let, let's not forget, like this football team is having success on the ground. It's not just through the air. And I think that's what a lot of people miss about this because all they are seeing on highlights or all they're seeing at times when they're tuning in are 30 40, 50-yard bombs to Jalen Hyatt or Tillman, whoever, and, and, you're, and, and you're missing out on Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, rushing the football, which I think has has taken a lot of pressure off the quarterback and hooker, a lot of pressure off the wide receivers. And, and so that's going to be a big component to me, Stay, keeping your quarterback upright, letting him get loose when need to, um, and, and, and running the football, which – I give credit to Tennessee's offensive line. They returned four out of five uh, guys this season, and they have lived up to their ability, I think, in, in veterans. Well, we know, we know the stat. Kirby Smart, as uh, head coach, one in nine whenever his defense allows more than 30 points in a game. They have not allowed more than 30 points in a game in 10 straight contests. So what gives in this matchup Saturday? I, I think that they're going to have to score more than 30 points because I think Tennessee is going to score 30 points. I, I just 
look, there we we have seen good defenses uh, in, in the past couple of years um, try to play up against Georgia. And look, I I look at last year too as an anomaly because that Georgia defense was probably the best we will probably see in a decade, in, in my opinion, in, in, with what they had. So you look at it this year. You know, maybe things would be different, you know, if if Oregon would have been playing a little better to start the year. I don't know. Georgia beat them up and deservedly so. Um, But you look at the teams that they have played this year and you're not finding a lot of guys and teams that have an offense anywhere similar to what Tennessee does passing the football and running it. So I think that's where the difference comes in. Like, I, I think Tennessee is going to score points. But I also think Georgia is as well. And 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 we're, do we get into a shootout? We might. But I think overall, looking at this right now, looking at the statistics that are out there, Kirby Smart better be planning to score more than 30 points because, in my opinion, Tennessee is going to score more than 30 points. Now, is that 34 points? Is that 37 points? We won't get into the, the tick and tack of it. But I think overall, this is something where – Tennessee is going to come out and let loose, and they're going to test Georgia's defensive backs early on. And we're going to see how much, you know, the Bulldogs can keep up, which I think they can, by the way, because they do have a steady offense as well. You wrote a bit about how Tennessee complicates things for people just by how they line up, which seems uh, – it surprises me a little bit because there's, A, only so much you can do, and, B, you would think the complication comes further down the road – with what you do once you're on the move, not with where you are before the ball is is snapped. So how impressed were the people you talked to with what Tennessee's able to do before the ball's even off the ground? Yeah, no. So it's it, it, so I, I'll give people an instance here, and, and they can go back and watch it if they want to. Last year, 2021, Tennessee played at Kentucky. The second touchdown of the game, it was from Bayless Jones Jr. He lied. He lined up on the inside of Cedric Tillman, and what he does is it's just a swing around, is what I call it as a non-football coach. A swing around. He's swinging around the outside. There he is, wide open for the touchdown. The same thing they did to Kentucky twice in this last week's game. So I got confused. I'm like, and I wrote about it. I was like, wait a minute, you've seen that play numerous times. How did you not know it was coming in the game this past weekend? And what did Jalen Hyatt do? They lined up on the inside. They did the whole swing around to the outside. Two touchdowns. Bam, Tennessee scores. I find it interesting to see how Tennessee puts these guys in motion, Paul, um, because it's not like they're moving one guy to the other side of the field. They're literally just switching the wide receivers up on the far side, I I had one coach who I spoke with who's played Tennessee this year, a head coach, anonymously, say that he was so shocked that there was a wide receiver one foot away from him on the sideline. And that's how much Tennessee spaces out their receivers. So it's, it, it's very telling to me that if you're not going back and you're not watching the tape from last year or seeing how Tennessee runs these stacks or they run these, these double hitches, it, it blows me away because all they're doing, and, and it's more complicated than this and Josh Heupel system, but to me, I look at it and I see, okay, your outside receiver, Cedric Tillman, is going to run five yards, you're going to run in. The other wide receiver is going to go right behind him and go right up the field for a touchdown. So I look at it, I'm like, 
hey, if I'm a defensive coordinator, damn, that's got to be easy to like figure out, right? But they're doing so much on like the other side of the ball with motion and those receivers. It's confusing, folks. And as one head coach told me, he was blown away by it. They couldn't figure it out, and there was no way they were going to stop it. Trey, I've been wrong about this Tennessee team trying to guess what's going to happen in a lot of these games, but I do feel like this is a game where they're not going to be having guys run wide open, shrieking down the field, yet they've done that against every opponent so far this year. But Georgia's a different beast in terms of how fundamentally sound they are not giving up bust. But there's going to be one-on-one opportunities, like there are for all these receivers in this offense. This feels like a Cedric Tillman game for me with one-on-one plays down the field. How is his health? How do you think he looked in his return against Kentucky? I know he's on a bit of a pitch count in that game. What do you think about Cedric Tillman against this Georgia team, given what also he was able to accomplish a year ago against them? So last week was all according to plan. Everything. The 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 first three plays of the game that you saw him, uh, where he had two receptions during that time period, uh, the number of plays that you saw him last week in the game, there's a reason why he didn't play in the second half. They were getting him out there and getting him adjusted, getting him back going, taking some hits from somebody not in a Tennessee uniform that's probably going to pull up on you a little bit and not hit you as hard. That was the game plan for Kentucky. I've been told 100% on the field, ready to go for Saturday. Uh, and you're going to see that a lot. That That's a difference, too. You're going to see a lot of you know street plays. You're going to see a lot of him one-on-ones having to go up and get the football. And I think that's what, you know, it's a benefit for Tennessee and Hendon Hooker because of that trust that he has with Cedric, knowing that he's going to see man coverage out there and he can toss it up to him and he can say, okay, go make a play. And I think that's the biggest thing to me because you've got, in my opinion, you've got two guys that can do that. Rue McCoy, Cedric Tillman. Hyatt, to me, is a guy in space across the middle, kind of down the field, a speedster. But you do have two guys that can go up and make plays and I think Tennessee is going to try to take advantage of that with an experienced but young secondary in Georgia. They're experienced, but they are young in a sense of freshman, sophomore, and whatnot. So I think that this would set up nice for Tennessee. But, man, Georgia's defense, it, it is darn tough, and Tennessee is is going to be forced to try to make some decisions downfield. Trey Wallace with us. He covers the SEC for Outkick.com. LSU, Alabama, Trey. Um, LSU has improved mightily since Tennessee went down there. Have they improved enough to truly give Alabama a game right down to the wire in Baton Rouge on Saturday night? Chad, man, like this is like what a perfect weekend. Like, and, and I know we're not trying to be SEC bias here, but I'm just saying in general, like you got a 3:30 matchup between Georgia and Tennessee. You can take a deep breath after that one. Go grab a shower, grab a drink, and then you can get tuned in right or nighttime at Death Valley with Nick Saban and Brian Kelly. Like I, I'm stoked for that one because I think LSU has done a lot of good things since, since getting beat up by Tennessee. You're seeing Jaden uh, Daniels very much complimentary of the offense and the way that he plays. And what they've done is they've said, go do your thing. Run the football if you need to. Pass it if you need to. Get on the same page. They've opened up the playbook for Daniels, and I think that's the biggest takeaway with me with the LSU offense is that they're letting him take strikes down the field um, when, when he feels like it. 
you know, take off and run. But what we saw against Ole Miss, what we saw against Florida, that's Brian Kelly saying, okay, man, we trust you. Go do your thing. And I, and I think after that Tennessee loss, there was a lot of humble pie that was given around around Baton Rouge. But I think he's been able to build off of it, and I think he's turned into a decent quarterback. I mean, look, we have seen Alabama struggle on the road against Texas. Uh, they struggled at Tennessee at times with their offense. Heck, they, they, they struggled at home with Texas A&M. You know, I, I feel like Alabama is kind of ripe for the picking to get beat. I still think they're really good. I think they're good with Bryce Young when he's healthy. Nick Saban talked about it. I mean, Nick, he said he hadn't been able to really practice much since the Arkansas injury. So I'm just wondering when that starts to take a toll on him when he's not out there during the week working with receivers as much as usual. Um, and, I, and I think you're walking into a hornet's nest in Death Valley because what a lot of people – don't understand here is the SEC West is up for grabs. Like usually you, th- you just think in your head, oh, it's Alabama, right? No, they're good. No. Saturday night is for the lead in the SEC West. And I think LSU is playing good enough right now that I love the points that they're getting. I'm not saying LSU is going to win, but I think this is going to be a game heading into the fourth quarter. I think the atmosphere is going to have something to do with it. And I think LSU looks at the Tennessee game plan and tries to figure out ways to attack that Alabama defense. I'm trying not to uh, get lulled into LSU's hype right now, Trey. I've told Chad the same thing. I'm taking Bama, and I'm laying the points this week. Bama has the better quarterback, the better running back, the better defense. They gave up 52 points to Tennessee, and there's this perception that it's not the same Alabama defense. They're fifth in the nation in points allowed at 16.6 points per game. Uh, LSU, they beat Ole Miss. Uh, an Ole Miss team that we had not seen tested to that point other than Auburn, Kentucky. But again, at LSU, bigger test. LSU's playing well since Tennessee. I just think we're we're forgetting that while Alabama is prime for the, the taking, we said the same thing last year, and you still have to play near perfect to beat them. And I don't think LSU will. I don't know how LSU stops Jameer Gibbs. Like, that's the big one that stands out to me. When he gets into space, when he gets down the field, that's what stands out, Jameer Gibbs. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing, too, is if Bryce Young's arm is, is totally good to go, which we saw that against Tennessee. You know, we, we did. The guy is still slinging the football around. This is, this is Alabama still, okay? I, I know they lost the game to Tennessee, but Tennessee was better that day. You had two good football teams playing against each other, and Tennessee came out on top in that game. It's a different story with LSU. Yes, they're playing better football, but does that better football mean they're going to beat Alabama at the end? I don't think so. Um, But I do think it can be interesting enough for three quarters where in the fourth quarter, Alabama, and I kind of compared it to 2012 where T.J. Yeldon went off for a touchdown there towards the end and and Alabama kind of took over from there, won the game. I think that's kind of what happens on Saturday. I I think this is the same Bama team. I just think that they're going to be tested for a little bit, and then they'll put their foot on the gas and and, and finish off LSU. Who's your Brian Harson replacement? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Mr. Yellowwood, Jimmy Rain? I don't know. No, I'm just messing. Uh, Look, I I think that 
Hugh Freeze would love that job right now. Um, I think you would crawl on glass to get there. Um, I, I think that Auburn boosters would love for it to be Lane Kiffin uh, to take over in Auburn. Um, now, does that happen or not? I don't know at this moment, but I will say just because Lane is saying a different thing on an SEC teleconference, don't take that to heart. Lane Kiffin talks a lot. Okay, just because he came out and complimented Deion Sanders, he's a smart man. He knows exactly what he's doing when he comes out and promotes Deion and says, well, yeah, recommend him for the They should hire hire him, in fact. (laughs) They should hire him. him. Which is funny coming from a rival. Yeah, go ahead, hire him. That'd be great. Go take care of him, right? (laughs) And when Lane's sitting back there and gets back to his office, he's like, okay, I threw the hook out there. Let's see if they take it. Now people can get off me for a minute. Maybe I can have some quiet discussions. Um, I, I think in the long run, Matt Rule is interested in the job. Auburn's interested in him. Um, I do think there's going to be one of those sleeper candidates, Paul, that, that we're not seeing right now, that John Cohen, the new AD, has on a list that he can call up. You know, almost just like how Brian Harson was a sleeper candidate at Auburn and kind of came out of nowhere. Like I could see Cohen having something along those lines, but you know, as much, as much as people want to believe everything is all peachy between Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, it's not. Um, and, and that's okay. Nobody's it's never fully 100% intact, but I'm just saying that Lane Kiffin, Q freeze, Deion Sanders, and Deion Sanders is a name, guys. Like I, I talked with somebody last night, and I said, if you got to make your pick, do you go back to Atlanta and coach Georgia Tech and try to change that up a little bit? Um, or do you take the Auburn job, which is, you know, uh, kind of a hot job if they can get back rolling? Don't forget. Auburn is an Under Armour school who has a massive contract with Deion Sanders as well. I think we need to take that into to instance in this one. Please but tell overall, me they said they would take the Auburn job because it's not even close in terms of jobs. Yeah. Auburn is light years better than Georgia Tech. He would take yeah, Georgia it, Tech because it's better than Jackson State. He's not taking Georgia right. Tech over Auburn if both are off, offered to him. Well, the one thing that, that stood out to me in the, the comment that I had with, with uh, an agent last night was, you know, these there's going to be another school that's going to pop up over the next three to four weeks and we're not expecting it's going to make a change because of expansion because of tv rights because of the changes going to go on in college football so we have to be aware of that these coaches are aware of it too so you know auburn is the job right now that's out there i I think it's it's better than nebraska uh i think it's better than arizona state i mean we can kind of go on here but i look I think right now it's Hugh Freeze, it's Dion, and then Lane Kiffin can try to be quiet about it, but it is Lane Kiffin as well. You're right about that. By the way, War Eagle, War Eagle Wallace is with us right now with all the Auburn insight. Uh, we we don't know the the outside. <laughs> How did you get right? that name? Excuse me. Well, How did I you like get that, that name? You know exactly that's where a, that's it came a, from. That's a good message board name. Yeah. That's great. Hey, that we. You're right. We don't know the the outside factor with New AD and the the connections. Um, I do wonder if there's a Lincoln Riley guy for Auburn where they're leaving and you're like, man, I can't believe this, but buckle up, here we go. Because Auburn, to me, if I'm there, I'm thinking Saban's coaching until he's 80, right? Like, I think it's another decade. 
And we already know if you win a championship at Auburn, they'll fire you a year and a half later. So uh, they don't need to go through another coaching search three years from now. Kiffin gets antsy no matter where he ends up. So uh, while it's a great splash, three and a half, four years from now, we're probably asking you candidates for Auburn again because Kiffin wants to coach somewhere else. Well, what, what Hutton's asking is, is this the job that Mike Gundy finally leaves for and not Tennessee yeah. for, for Auburn? Uh, yeah. but I'm Another half, race for I'm Gundy. I'm joking. I'll give you two names right now in the Big 12. Uh, I'm going after Sonny Dykes at TCU. If if I'm Auburn, I'm I'm calling him and asking if he's interested after I'm one sure year. James Franklin wants what his he's name done. in the mix too, Chad. Oh, there's no doubt. James Franklin will have his name all over that job. James Franklin <laughs> would, I think. James Franklin. And remember, there was conversations about it last time. Remember um, when James Franklin finally leave Penn State, reset his clock. Things aren't going too swimmingly in Happy Valley right there's, now. There's uh, no way that he goes back to the AD and says, hey, I'm talking to Auburn. Can you give me this, this, and this? And they do it again because they've already got an albatross of a contract with him. This would be the time. It wouldn't be that James Franklin, he would stay at Penn State if he was given more money, if all yeah. things were equal. But this would be the time that he may do this and they just call his bluff and say, go. If you really are that then, interested, we're not doing anything else you can leave for any of these jobs if, you, if you'd like. We give you full permission to go talk to other jobs. Let me tell you something. If James Franklin can win at Vanderbilt, and guys, we were there when he was winning yeah. at Vanderbilt. He can win at Auburn. Oh, sure. I promise. No doubt. He can win at Auburn. So that's where things are going to get interesting over the next couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, like, like last By the way, he, about won, he won Auburn. at Auburn with Penn State. Let's keep that in mind. They did go down there and blow them out this year. So then he, could be a nice precursor. Beat, and then he beat Auburn when college game day was in Nashville for the Vanderbilt-Auburn game years ago, Yep, which is just a crazy full circle type of thing. But just don't forget, John Cohen, the AD at Mississippi State, he's been sitting in Starkville watching Deion Sanders and Lane Kiffin take over that yep. state uh, for the last four to five years. So it's not like he is unfamiliar with the work that they're doing in Jackson and in Oxford. I feel like that was Bobby Johnson that beat that Auburn team on college game day, unless there was a second college game day, I'm forgetting, that James Franklin hosted Auburn. I remember Didn't one they... in 2008, and it was Bobby Johnson. Vandy was 4-0, and I think, at the time, and then beat Auburn to go to 5-0, and and that may be the only time they've ever hosted game day. I'm looking it up right now. But I do remember big... game day on campus okay. for a Vandy-Auburn game. You're right about that. But I feel like it was Bobby Johnson was still the coach. I'm looking it up right now. Okay, well, that blows me away if Bobby Johnson got a Vanderbilt team to host college game day. It was good enough. I mean, to he do win it. I, 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 I <laughs> right. I, I thought I thought it was James Franklin for some reason being in that town. So no, it, it hey, it's what it is, right? You've got teams that are rolling, and and we'll see how things play out this weekend. Trey, enjoy it, man. It's going to be quite the atmosphere there uh, between the hedges, and we certainly look forward to all the coverage between today and Sunday at Outkick.com. Yeah, just keep an eye on Outkick.com. We'll have a scene centerpiece tomorrow afternoon. We'll have predictions uh, tomorrow morning uh, on Outkick. And uh, my upset of the weekend is Vanderbilt beats South Carolina. There you go. Does, hey, does, go does, does Kentucky, uh, Kentucky take care of Missouri? That's another one with no, a close Missouri. line. Missouri's defense, I think, wow. overcomes without, you know, I I feel like Kentucky's sliding right now. I think the expectations are so gone. Missouri played well last weekend. Why not back that up? Can you imagine? It's only one point. Kentucky loses to both South Carolina and Missouri. 
in the same season when T- they're picked second in the East. Tough to uh, claim some sort of good season yeah. when the expectation was finish behind Georgia in the East and beat Tennessee, and then you're losing With to Piper's quarterback. You're losing home to South Carolina, and then losing to Missouri. You're falling down the pecking order at that point. Yeah, Stoops better draft for that Auburn job if that happens. <laughs> Trey, enjoy it, man. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Be well. Trey Wallace, Outkick.com. Coming up, Josh Heupel. His name's going to be mentioned. Coach of the year. He's got that on. He's got that wrapped up, right? But, I would think. But after the season, Tony Romo's already dropping his name for the NFL. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Steelers were playing the Eagles, kind of a blowout game. And Tony Romo and Jim Nance are on the call, and Romo drops Josh Heupel's name for potential NFL vacancies. Outkick 360 rolls on. Here's the quote. Tennessee head coach Josh Heupel, remember he was at Central Florida when Scott Frost went undefeated, goes over here to Tennessee, brings them back now to prominence. He'll be on the radar for every NFL team after this year. Just throwing that out there for you. And then Nance said, you must know something. Yeah, he, he, he had some sort of line about you. You must have some information oh, on here. that. Dan says, "I'm looking at you, and I know you know something." Yeah. <laughs> Who are the last couple direct from college? Kingsbury, Matt Rule, Urban Meyer. It's not trending well. That's not to say don't do it, right? Because if you find the right guy, you're you're great. But Heupel still at the start of something. Though if he wins the national championship. This year, it'd be a great way to exit if you had an NFL dream. He can do whatever he wants. All right. <laughs> if you win the national title, go ahead. Just uh, just do it. Do whatever you need to do. But um, I won't be mad at all. People being interested in him and him being interested in them are obviously two different things. Seems like a college guy to, to me, uh, though his schemes certainly, you know, take him, fiddle with him in the NFL. It would be intriguing, and that's what everybody's looking for. Some kind of clever, creative offense that's going to maximize the skills of, of the talent. And I don't doubt for a second that um, applying the kind of successful things he's done in college modified could, could work in the NFL. I just don't know if he aspires to do that. Uh, you know, if he could put together the staff that could do that, if he's... Uh, quite the CEO that could do that, but he's got a lot of qualities, traits that you look for in an NFL head coach. I was listening to Jordan Rogers uh, on an interview on our sister station in Nashville on, on 102.5 The Game talking about this, and he said, I do not think it translates to the NFL uh, for this reason, his, his offense. Well, it's, it's the players. You know, if you have corners that can cover and man, then you can defend Tennessee. But their receivers are so good and the scheme is so good that you have to have, you know, elite players on the other side. You're going to have that in the NFL. The hash is different, you know, so that's going to change spacing. the width of the, the field and the spacing. But he did say one thing that would work is the tempo part of it. That there's not a ton of NFL teams, there's none that play at that hyper speed. That you could bring that to the right offense, the right quarterback, 
and really give teams fits in the NFL that's not ready for that type of pace. So that's one thing that would work. It, it doesn't feel like a fit to me with Heupel being an NFL guy. I mean, look, he, I'm sure if an NFL team comes to him, he's going to entertain the, the notion. I'll also say it's all about what the, the coach wants. It's not just about being a college or an NFL guy. Tennessee's going to write him a blank check. I know that gets used a lot, but with this season, if it continues down this path, let's say Tennessee goes 11-1 and one and either plays in a New Year's Six Sugar Bowl or goes to the college football playoff, Tennessee will be able to outpay what an NFL team would pay him to start. So I don't think money's going to be an issue. Relatively speaking. It's not like, oh, this recruiting has exhausted me. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know exactly what Josh Heupel wants ultimately. Maybe deep down he wants to challenge himself in the NFL. I don't know. Uh, I'm just telling you, Tennessee's going to do whatever they can do for Josh Heupel after this season, after this start of his tenure in Knoxville. And let me be the first to say, if something happens and Tony Romo just knows that there's one specific job that's going to go after Josh Heupel and he wants it, and he's going to leave if that day comes, Tennessee should elevate Alex Golish as, as head coach. Just keep this thing rolling. I don't think you look outside of what you have there right now. Bring, hire someone that knows the Hypel system and elevate them and, tr- and see if you can keep it going with this offense. I think that's the answer for Tennessee if this happens. Or bring Lane We're back. getting way ahead of it right now. Yeah, bring Lane I, back. I realize that. I don't think Josh Hypel's going anywhere. But if Tony Romo truly knew something... I will be the first to say I am all for Tennessee elevating someone on that offensive staff to be the head coach and keeping the staff together. Or bring Lane back. Lane would probably entertain it. You know what this this I'm serious. I think he would. You know what this fits? It fits Heifel's bank account on the raise. Because if Oklahoma's not hiring, the NFL comes calling. Those L.A. Chargers, they're financially (laughs) solvent. They're going to bring a lot of money to the table. Michael McHenry brings the knowledge on the World Series next.